We're being taught to read the Book of Vision by the Substitute, and Alice Darling wants to meet the Fablemans more than ever. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Hello and welcome back to the show then. So, let's start with some brand new movies out this week, as we always do. Um, So, we'll start with Alice Darling. Talk to me about this, Van. Yeah, this one, it's a hard one to pitch this, if I'm being really honest. So, in short, just imagine a millennial version of Fatal Attraction, but rather than being like a psycho boyfriend, he's an emotional abuser. And it's kind of an indie movie. That's the short version. The slightly longer one is it stars Anna Kendrick. She's a young woman who has this relationship with a British artist who's, I think he's about a decade, maybe not quite a decade, about seven or eight years older than this. She's kind of about 30. He's kind of 37, 38. And they have this, initially it's kind of very subtle and unspoken, but it quickly becomes apparent as the film goes on that he's incredibly, emotionally abusive. She makes up an excuse, as you'll hear in the clip in a moment, makes up an excuse to have to go away with her two friends uh, for one of them's birthday. She lies, says she's going on a sales trip for for work, and as she goes away on this this trip with her mates, um, she quickly starts to, you know, basically, she starts to process, she starts to unwind, and the heft of everything she's going through just starts to weigh on her. And all of this toxicity, and all of this torment that she's going through day to day, finally becomes too much to behold. Now, the clips that are available, I say clips, one clip that's available for this is, I'll be honest, kind of a visual clip, so we couldn't really use that. So we have got something trailerific, and have a listen here. You'll get the tone of it very nicely as she tries to find her way into lying around her boyfriend to get away with the girls. Hi. Hi, I'm so sorry I'm late. So for my birthday, we're going up north for a week. You're gonna come, right? Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, it just came up. Just came up. Just came up. Remember this thing I told you about? That sales thing? Turns out now they do need me to go. Why? Just, I came up, I guess. What am I gonna do without you? My beautiful girl. This is um, quite a hard-hitting topic. Is it kind of dealt with really sensitively throughout? It really is. I, I will say, I'm, I'm making the fatal attraction, not fatal attraction, I'm thinking of sleeping with the enemy, not fatal attraction. <laughs> um, but, although the psycho comparison kind of still holds in between those two. But no, like I say, this is kind of like sleeping with the enemy, only instead of being you know, a, 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 you know, a fully physically abusive figure, he is you know, emotionally. And, oh God, it's twisted. It, it's, it's, a, it's psychologically and emotionally twisted rather than physically aggressive. Now, it stars Charlie Carrick from Deepwater. Uh, I don't really remember him in that, if I'm being honest, but he makes an impression here quite quickly as the boyfriend. But it is very much Anna Kendrick's show, and Anna Kendrick is someone that I think we all associate with more lighter-hearted material. Definitely. We think of her as being someone from, like, Pitch Perfect, and, you know, yeah. comedies like your Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. And stuff like that. I remember coming out of this movie and thinking to myself, remember when she was the, the cute, dorky, sarcastic best friend in the Twilight movies? Because that seems like a lifetime ago now. And, God, you know, yeah. Yeah, then I realised it had been 15 years, and I'm just getting really old. But, uh, yeah. She doesn't right. change, though. That's the thing. She looks exactly the same. She she does look exactly the same. I, I want whatever whatever moisturizer she's using. I I clearly need it because I'm, I'm not aging as well as uh, as well as Anna Kendrick. I will say that I very much like the supporting cast that surround her in this, which includes uh, Kenya Tio Horn and uh, Wunmi Masaku from uh, Loki, 
uh, noticeably. She's uh, one of the time agent cops, I think probably the chief time agent cop from Loki, if you ever uh, uh, had the pleasure of that. Both of whom I think are absolutely terrific here. Now, this is one of those movies, though, that I think everyone can find something to relate to in it. And if you can't, congratulations, you're a very, very lucky person. I think most of us in the 21st century can watch Alice Darling and and find something that's like, oh, God, that, that really cuts me to the bone. And if it's not the whole movie, then believe me, there are just elements, there are things here and there, there are, there are sides, there are passive-aggressive moments, there are fleeting offhand, very under-the-table attacks, things like that, that you do find quite jarring, that do hit you and they do have weight and relevance, yeah. Do you feel then that this movie is something that is more to educate than entertain or of equal measure? I think of equal measure, definitely. It's, uh, it's interestingly enough, it's directed by Mary Nye, who I knew as an actress, uh, most notably from the sort of forgotten 2009 slasher Tormented with Alex Pettifer and Tuppence Middleton, which I don't think anyone besides me ever actually saw, and that's only because I'll be really honest at the time, I just fancied Prince <laughs> Middleton. Um, but yeah, I remember her as an actress. I, I, I didn't really know her as a director. She's mostly been done TV stuff, like Industry in the last couple of years. Like That's been quite a highly regarded show. She directed a few episodes of Industry, I think. But uh, it was when I saw an image of her, I'm like, oh my God, I remember you as an actress. Yes, from Tormented. Um, I think she does an absolutely sterling job here and I can I can absolutely see how she has cut her teeth on prestige television drama very much shows what you've got here is it like I say it plays like something like sleeping with the enemy for millennials but it comes with serious art house pedigree it comes with serious dyed in the wool art house cred there's some absolutely fantastic cinematography I thought the mood the tone the, the sensibilities of it were perfectly gauged for the subject matter and uh, it sounds like I'm making it sound too weighty to be entertaining, but it actually is, at the same time, quite suspenseful and quite thrilling, even though it's not a movie that has, like, big action beats or anything like that. But again, edge-of-your-seat stuff, entirely emotionally riveting. I don't think it's going to be a crowd pleaser. Like, I don't think this is going to be a Saturday Night Date movie or anything like that. And if it is, like, you know, enjoy that date, obviously. But, um... I just I thought this was absolutely <laughs> tremendous. Not everyone's cup of tea, but definitely a four out of five star kind of a deal, certainly. How long is it? Did they overstretch it, or is it was it the perfect length it left you wanting for more? Because I think that's the best way to end a movie is make you want to want more as you're walking out. Oh boy, do they make you want more. First of all, this is a tight and tidy 90 minutes, which in 2023 is basically off. But yeah. I will say, in terms of the pacing of it, it is perfectly gauged. There is, there's a notable beat that, that drops for the third act that does feel like, I think, I think if you were looking at a longer film, you feel like it would have come in earlier, but it drops at exactly the right time. It has exactly the, the, the right punch, the right resonance, and the movie ends exactly where it needs to i will also say it is for my books personally just great to see any movie properly lionized stay by lisa loeb which i think is one oh. of the most underrated bangers of the 1990s also i agree lisa loeb oh heart lisa loeb my absolute dream girl 
No, I agree. That is an absolute song. Has it got any other decent music soundtrack-wise, or is that kind of the one thing at the end? No, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of a part of the, the, the circle of friends, like, that's their songs. They have a moment where they sing right. it, and then they have a moment where they're quite drunk and doing it. I kept waiting for... I, I was hoping the end credits were going to drop and they were going to play the actual song over the end credits, but to be honest with you, it seems like quite a low-budget movie. I feel like it was a slightly higher budget. They absolutely would have dropped the money for that. Um, but, like, if you get the chance to see Alice, darling, absolutely do. I will say as well, it's Alice, comma, darling. I kept getting this confused in the run-up to this release with Don't Worry, Darling, which came out, like, what, two, three months ago? And yeah. I, I gotta say, this is not a great year, tone-wise, and, and, you know, up, upbeat sensibility-wise, for female-driven movies that contain the word darling in the title. If you've got a female-driven movie with darling in the title, it's, it, it's gonna be a downbeat affair, let's just say that. It sounds like it. Well, that is out in cinemas today. Alice, comma, darling, if uh, you want to go and see. All right, so we're back in just a moment with um, Van's review of The Substitute, which is also out in cinemas today, and more than ever as well. So stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back then. We are going to stick with brand new movies that are out this week. In fact, that are out today. So, Van, talk to me about The Substitute. I'm assuming this isn't a football movie. No, it's not a football movie and it's not, in fact, any relation to the forgotten 1996 action movie starring Tom Berenger. God, remember when Tom Berenger used to be in movies? Those were the good old days. <laughs> God, yeah. That was a while ago. No. Uh, no, this is uh, so this is a, a Spanish language film from Diego Lerman. I think it's Argentinian. Um, stars the likes of uh, Juan Mnuhan as a substitute teacher who takes on a new class. He's you know usual a contemporary set like modern day set. Takes on a class of teenagers, all of whom are you know unpleasant in their own various ways, as a bunch of teenagers are wont to be. And naturally enough, he finds one kid amongst the group who has sort of a spark of creativity in life and, and you know, uh, willingness to learn in him. Um, and starts to strike up a bit of a friendship uh, with the kid, especially when he finds out that he's sort of volunteering on a community project run by his own father. So he starts to get to know, to know the kid and very quickly discovers that uh, he's uh, finding himself under the throes of the local drug kingpin. You know, because you know, it's an Argentinian movie. Uh, this all coincides with the discovery of a quantity of drugs in the in one of the, the, the boys' bathrooms in the school. Another one of the kids gets thrown out. Police start to get involved. And our, you know, our substitute of the title starts to find himself as the moral linchpin, as it were, the, the sort of unorthodox guardian of this young boy who has to try and basically save him from the clutches of you know, our token uh, drug kingpin. It's a bit dangerous minds without the Coolio track. And the I was just about to say what you've just <laughs> described to me is dangerous minds. While you were talking to me then, my eyes may have glazed over because I was hearing Gangster's Paradise in my head. Yeah, exactly. And it's completely understandable too, because from what I've just described, like, you're completely within your rights. Like, oh, it's just dangerous minds again. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, imagine a grittier, more dramatic version of that. Like I say, subtitle, foreign language, uh, a lot more art housey, a lot more, uh, a, a lot less studio managed than, for instance, Dangerous Minds, which, if memory serves, I think it was a Jerry Bruckheimer uh, a film, and incidentally, had a music video for Gangsters Paradise directed by none other than Anne. 
Antoine Fuqua, who I think today it was announced is going to be directed in the new Michael uh, Michael Jackson uh, biopic. That is wow. neither here nor there, though. I think this is absolutely terrific. Um, it's one of those movies that if you can look past the, the the subtitled barrier, because I know that is a barrier for, for you know a, a sizable audience out there. If you can get past Me? the subtitled, yeah, I know. You, <laughs> Mr. I'll never watch the raid. You are going to watch the raid one of these days, Paul. You are. I'm going to see to it. I have been sucked in before with some things that have. I mean, what was that um, Korean one that had um, subtitles? Parasite. Parasite was it? No, no, the other Snow one where they, play, where they play the game and they, they have to. Oh, you think you have Squid Games? Squid Games. I watched that and I got sucked into that with subtitles. So it does happen occasionally. There you are. You and I are going to watch The Raid, one of these. We'll skip the sequel, but we will watch The Raid because you've not seen a perfect action movie until you have. Anyway, far from an action movie, uh, written and directed by Diego Lerman is The Substitute, or to give its original title, El Suplante. Um, I think this is really good. I think it's a really, really solid, riveting drama. It's not one that's going to surprise. Like, from the plot description I've given you, you can you can gather that this is going to be quite a predictable, kind of by-the-numbers-on-the-plot-front kind of affair. But it is about the performances, about the staging, about the writing, more than anything, and the intricacies and the way that it draws you into these characters. Um, in particular, um, uh, Juan Medellin's uh, performance at the centre of it all, I think is really solid. I think it's a really great performance. Um, this is out in cinemas from today. I do recommend wholeheartedly that you check this out. This is a really great movie. Wow, that's two movies in a row that you recommend and you said they're right? really good. What's going on with you, Van? Are you okay? It's, it's, it's almost like we had a Christmas break or something, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, that is out, as you say, cinemas today. Um, let's move on to the next one, More Than Ever. So um, this, what's this one about? Okay, so this this is another foreign language film. This is, I think this is an international co-production. So this is Norwegian, French, and English co-production, I think. It stars Vicky Creeps, who we recently talked about in Corsage, if you remember, uh, a, few, a few weeks ago. And it marks not the final performance, I don't believe, but the penultimate performance from Gaspar Ouyer, who played young Hannibal Lecter in Hannibal Rising. I think you might remember him from one of the perfume adverts a few years ago. I forget which, but I think he might have done, might have been one of the Armani adverts or something like that. But he, he Was did it a Hugo very Boss? Memorable... Maybe. I think it might have been. But he's just one of those guys. You see him and he's just built for yeah. a perfume advert. You know one of those men that just walks out of the shower ready for a perfume advert? Uh, absolutely yeah. one of those. Um, this is the story of a couple who, I think... The, the best way to describe this, she is it's set in the present day, which is very weird when you're, when you're dealing with Vicky Creeps anyway, because I'm just used to seeing her exclusively in period piece movies now. Uh, so seeing her in a movie that has mobile phones is just odd in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, she is a woman who is dealing with a, a, a an untreatable, rare lung disease that on the surface of it seems to be terminal. It may be treatable via transplant, but she may or may not reject it and this this condition is starting to take a toll on the relationship she has with her husband a relationship that she then escapes from when she finds herself drawn into a fellow sufferer's blog and for, you know he literally blogs under the name mister and she goes to literally visit him in person to actually get to know him and sort of learn about how he went through the same condition and through the time that she spends with him she starts to learn more about how she feels 
about her place, how she feels about her own mortality, and increasingly how she feels about dragging her partner into everything as well, and whether or not it might be time to cut him loose. It's um, hardly a romantic comedy, we're being deep. honest. It's it's very deep. It's very, very deep. It's also very, very harrowing. It's not quite the, uh, you know, the, the, the chills and spills melodrama that it could be. It's very much steeped in, I say, it's an international co-production, but it feels very continental in terms of the darker sensibilities that it, that it works through. It's written and directed by uh, Emily Ateff, who I think worked on Killing Eve. Uh, for the BBC a few years ago. I think directed some episodes of that as well. So it's a great week for TV directors ascending to the bigger screen. Um, I did particularly enjoy the two central performances from Vicky Creeps and uh, Gaspar Ye. Um, he, he, in particular, he passed away only about a year ago, I think, in a skiing accident. It was completely oh. out of the blue. Yeah. Um, a relatively young guy. I'm reasonably sure he was only his late 30s or early 40s, but skiing accident, maybe 2020? I think maybe as uh, furthest it could be is 2020. But again, tremendous actor. I, I have always wondered why he's not crossed over more into Western cinema, because like I say, he was young Hannibal Lecter back in 2006 when they made the Hannibal Rising uh, adaptation, and long before Mads Mikkelsen got his hands on the role, you know. But um, this I, I found really moving, and it was, it was a perspective to take on this kind of terminal illness, potentially terminal illness, that I don't think I'd seen particularly handled in this way, on this scale before. And obviously not something I myself have faced, but have enough people in my life have faced. And it's it's something where you, you get that out, when you've had the outside perspective, it's, it's interesting to see a film kind of tackle it from the more internal view. And the way that that's handled on the page and on the screen, I thought was tremendous. I, I thought it was handled with nuance. It was handled with subtlety. I, it, I, I say no sensationalism whatsoever. Very grounded, very emotive, very moving. And a lot of that, as I say, down to those performances, but solidly directed, wonderful to behold, quite lavish visuals, and just like, superbly written. I thought this was tremendous. Like, I, I can't really fault this. Again, not really a crowd pleaser because none of our movies this week really are. Maybe the Fablemans later on. None yeah. of them really are crowd pleasers or blockbuster types. And they're certainly not really date movies. But uh, I'd say if you're in, in the market for a really moving drama, more than ever, it's in cinemas from today. Mickey Creeps, Gaspar Ouyak, check this one out. Difficult topic, but done mm -hmm. very well by the sounds of it. And of course, you probably have to make sure you're in the right kind of mental state to go and see something like that as well. Yeah, don't watch this when you're in a good mood, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, more than ever, out in cinemas today. So, let's continue in just a bit. We're going to talk about the Book of Vision. Van is going to give us his review in just a bit, so stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back then, wherever you are listening to us today. Maybe you're in the bath, in the gym, in the car, out for a nice little run in the sunshine. We have got another new movie to review right now with Van. So, The Book of Vision. What's this about? I'm just going to ask why your first go-to was that someone was in the bath. Well, you know, sometimes it happens. I listen to podcasts in the bath. So, you know, I just thought if anyone's in there having a bit of a soap up, you know, may as well say hello to them. I'm not going to lie, I listen to James O'Brien while I'm in the shower every day. So, you know, to be fair, I'm just as bad. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so uh, the book of vision also at cinema from today you were talking about the the length of movies earlier as well by the way it's worth noting this is listed as i think it's 99 minutes i think i clocked it as an hour 52 or something like that Ooh. um this stars uh, charles dance uh, from game of thrones and of course the villain of one of my favorite action movies of all time last action hero uh, in a supporting role alongside the likes of uh, lottie verbeek and uh sveria goodnesson now sveria goodnesson I know from, is it Borg McEnroe a few years ago? He played Bjorn Borg in the Borg McEnroe movie a couple ah. of years ago. Could not place Lottie Verbeek, as you know, when we were off mic, until I actually pulled up her uh, IMDb page and then realized, <laughs> yeah. okay, first of all, she's in Outlander, which I know because, you know, I have a mother of a certain age. So, of course, yeah. I've been exposed to several dozen episodes of Outlander, or mum porn, as you could probably merrily call it. And, of course, she's the young uh, the young version of the main character's mum in The Blacklist, which being yes. the James Spader obsessive that I am, of course, I've seen every episode of The Blacklist right up until the lead character leaves, in which case I kind of can't see the need to keep watching it. So, um, written and directed for the screen by Carlo Hinterman, whose body work I'm not overly familiar with if i'm being honest producer on the tree of life uh, don't know him honestly don't know him um the best way to describe this is it's a drama that takes place over two time periods you have a present day and you have the 18th century now the they are both connected but via the book of vision of the title the, t the titular book of vision um which is a manuscript that ties the present day a doctor in the present day who is looking to leave her profession and it ties her back to the 18th century and specifically it's worth noting that all the, all the cast play roles in both time periods specifically the story of a, of a period in which society faces a crossroads between what's referred to as animism and rationalism you know the idea of science versus effectively mysticism the the idea of actually reinforcing medicine as science you have charles dance as the renegade scientist in, in in you know the renegade doctor back in the period piece and you have him as the the sort of stern teacher in the present day and you have lottie verby kind of in the middle of both stories severe goodison you know the sort of dashing supporting love interest in both periods as well um this is one of those that you can you can see look at it and you you kind of think like First of all, it's the worst movie out this week. Okay. I, I can't put that. It, it, is, it is the least enjoyable movie out this week, and yet still not a bad one. So it's a pretty good week. I mean, bottom two this week, arguably, are this and the Spielberg one we're going to talk about in a minute, which, again, if a Spielberg movie is in the bottom movies of your week, it's a good week. You know what I mean? Absolutely yeah. sterling director, direction. Um, Hinterman brings uh, a quite an inventive uh, visual flair to this. And some of the things that are realised for the screen, the way that it delves into the animism element, uh, specifically of the 18th century period, the, uh, the, the imagery that it conjures, the staging of it, Superb. I expected more of this to be in the foreign language than it actually was. I think it sort of chops and changes uh, between subtitled and English language. A lot of it, particularly the Charles Dance sequences, because I don't think you could really teach Charles Dance to speak another language at his age, surely. Um, <laughs> but it, Might be it, it does fairly well. It does fairly well. And I will say Lottie Verbeek, immense screen presence. Very happy to see uh, Sphere Goodnison again 
as well, because I had actually wondered why I hadn't seen him in more uh, post Borg McEnroe, because he made a hell of an impression on that one. That was the one where you had uh, Shia LaBeouf as McEnroe, and Shia LaBeouf obviously threatened to walk away with that, but it was Goodnison who I think really surprised there, really made uh, Borg quite an investable character. Here brings a lot of not a lot of charisma, but not overpowering charisma. I think he, he knows when to rein it back. It's not his show. He is only there in a supporting capacity, and it shows that he has that, that gauge, and he knows when to reel it back. It works very, very well. But Lottie Verbeek as the lead, I think absolutely absolutely superb so talk to me about how the film progresses with its storyline then because i get what you're saying about the battle between the two but what's the what's the, the kind of end goal without giving away any spoilers so the idea is you, you've got um, a, a, a you know a young student in the in the in the modern day who's basically walking away from one career to potentially pursue another career. She finds herself drawn to this book and learning about it, and as she does, she finds herself faced with this story from the past. When we go back to the past, though, we fa- we right. find ourselves in the story of royals, effectively. Um, what you know, the sort of queen of the time who is uh, heavily pregnant and. The, basically the medical treatment of her through this pregnancy. Right. How the court handles the relatively new phenomenon of actual physical medicine versus the old, oh, we could just rub some tea leaves, you know, three inches away from her belly and that's medicine. You know, how basically the, 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 the dividing line between medicine and heresism, uh, heresy, as, as it were. Right. Basically embodied by both, in that case, Charles Dance and Severa Goodnison. It is interesting, to be fair, and it's it's a time period that I know very little about. If I'm being honest, like I not something because I'm mean, like pre-Western medicine is not so much of a thing that I particularly delve too far into. But I thought the way that it was staged, and also it worked for me on a level that I quite that, that similarly enjoyed the favourites a few years ago, which I know is a movie I've brought up a couple of times recently. Interestingly enough, in regards to a movie starring Vicky Creeps recently. Corsage. So clearly I need to go back and revisit the favourite and scratch that itch again soon. No, I like movies where they can be entertaining but at the same time you can learn something while watching it as well. So, I mean, although you say it's the worst of the movies this week, it still does sound like something... It's quite a high bar though, this <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is. And that's going to continue. So that's out uh, in cinemas today, of course. The Book of Vision if you're interested and you want to go and see it. Now, uh, in a moment we're going to talk about something pretty big the fablemans so uh, directed by steven spielberg i believe but also it's a it's a semi autobiographical which is weird having a semi autobiographical because in my eyes you either have one or the other but we're going to talk all about that in a moment aren't we I'm not going to lie. You, I, you, I kind of, I kind of just peeked up there when, when I thought you were going to say it's kind of weird having a semi. But yes, having a semi on the movie. When you are Steven Spielberg, yes, that is quite interesting. Also, I mean, he's not subtle about it. The movie's title, if you think about it, literally translates to the Storymans. Yeah, which, exactly. Come on, Steve. Come on. <laughs> well, this is one that I have, have actually started to watch, so I'll have something to say on it as well, and we're going to talk all about it in just a minute. Stay right where you are. Hey, 
Hello, and we are back with one last movie to talk about. And of course, it's a brand new one out today in cinemas. And it is The Fablemans. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, a Steven Spielberg kind of semi autobiographical movie. I have started to watch this. I didn't get to the end because uh, I had other stuff that I had to do, and I was quite gutted I had to pause it because the first. 45 minutes really drew me in if i'm honest i'm loving it so far well i mean this is the thing it, it is very much i mean it's about it, it couldn't be any more about spielberg if his name was literally sammy spielbergo you know what i mean like it, it, it's really on the nose with it so it's about the life of you know sammy fableman sammy story man if we're decoding that one uh between the ages of, i think it's seven and 18 growing up in Arizona and it is decidedly a post-World War II um, story. So obviously he, uh, he discovers cinema through uh, a screening of Cecil B. DeMille's The Greatest Show on Earth and decides he, you know, as a child wants to become a filmmaker and learns about the magic of cinema. And boy do they want to be heavy-handed with that one. But more than just his love of cinema and how it comes to define him, it's also about how that becomes his emotional anchor, his his totem, to use the Inception reference, his totem as he navigates both the, the pitfalls of adolescence and his ever-changing relationship with his parents as they are forced to move across the country, or they, they relocate, and certain familial changes start to enter his life. I've got a clip for you. This is Paul Dano. Uh, playing, uh, you know, the, the the father figure here of young. I'm, I'm going to keep saying young Spielberg, young Sammy Fableman, who's played by uh, Gabriel Labelle. Um, here being told, you know, help me out with your mum. Effectively, just do something nice for your mum because Grandma's just died. Have a listen. I want you to make a camping trip movie. Uh, you can learn how the editing machine works while you do this. It'll make your mom feel better. Yeah. That. Last night when she danced in the headlights, that'd be great. Get to it tomorrow, okay? Um, tomorrow's when we start shooting. <laughs> Escape to nowhere. We're shooting all weekend. Shooting next camp. weekend. We got like forty guys coming to be in the movie. I'll, I'll work on all the camping trips on Monday. I'm asking you to do this now for your mom. Yeah, She's... and I said that I will, just not tomorrow. I love that this whole movie explains where the passion for movies and movie making came from, especially from his first ever movie that you get to see at the start that he went to see with his parents. I was a bit disappointed because I thought that was going to be someone eaten by a shark and I thought it was going to feed on to obviously the making of Jaws, but sadly that wasn't the case. Yeah, I kept waiting for Sammy Storyman's like uncle to get eaten by a shark or something. That was good. Yeah, part of the origin story. Then some sort of nasty iguana leaped out of the forest. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Park as well. Yeah, yeah right. Like... <laughs> and then one day he went colorblind. And he thought, oh, we'll do Schindler's List. Uh, yeah, I thought something like that. Um, as I say, this goes straight in, like minute one. They go straight in. On, yeah, you know, quote unquote, the magic of cinema, and what you get like very early on. This, this verges on, like, Forrest Gump for how sort of whimsical and fantastical it wants to be with this. And you very quickly realise what the defining issue of this movie is going to be, which is in trying to craft a legend out of his own story, which, you know, fair enough, he's Spielberg. He literally is film royalty. You know, you can argue there's no one really in the biz that deserves it like Spielberg does. 
Mm. Yeah, he might be the only person in the film industry that kind of gets away with, okay, my biopic gets to be the defining Forrest Gump-like story. The problem is it becomes a bit nauseating a bit quickly. And in doing so, finds itself not so much Oscar-friendly as Oscar-pandering. A lot of the screen time here is taken up by just simply dishing out monologues to, admittedly, a very good cast that includes, you know, you've got Michelle Williams as the mother figure, Paul Dano as the father, Seth Rogen as the uncle. I know, right? That shocked me when he turned up. Yeah, exactly. Judd Hirsch and... And I swear to God, if they don't... If we can give Judy Dench an Oscar for five seconds as, you know, the queen in Shakespeare and Love, we can give David Lynch an Oscar for the two minutes he turns up at the very end of this movie as John Ford. I know you've not seen it yet, but John no. Ford is in this. And it's just, it's the best moment of the whole movie is David Lynch as John Ford. It's fantastic and it's worth the movie on its own. The problem is you've got to sit through the entire movie to get there. And it's very much a show that insists upon itself. Put it this way, you watch it and you do think, I, I sus- if I didn't know that this was Spielberg, who incidentally obviously has co-written this with Tony Kushner, if I didn't know it was Spielberg, I would think, wow, whoever directed this has serious daddy issues and serious mommy issues. And you look at like Spielberg's body of work and it, it's a preoccupation of his. I mean, you know, even Jurassic Park deals with broken families. E.T., quite famous, you know, fractured family. Yeah. That is Spielberg's bread and butter. Hell, even his take on War of the Worlds had to have divorced parents in it because that's just Spielberg's shtick. And, you know, this being for lack of a better term, the Spielbergian biopic, it makes complete sense to go down that room to do it that way. Um, <laughs> the problem is, like I say, it is a bit pandering. It is a bit nauseating. It is a bit, you know, Oscar, Oscar-style condescending. You can jokingly refer to this as a period-piece Dawson Leary story if you really wanted to. Um, but, you know, that is kind of a snake eating its own tail. There is... Like I say, there is a whimsy. There is a whimsy and a wonder to it. And that whimsy and wonder does kind of carry it, if I'm being honest, through this. Because there's nothing otherwise, I I think, really sets it apart. There's a brilliant sequence, there's a brilliant scene between Michelle Williams, who is not really doing much that we haven't seen her do a thousand times before. It, It feels like a weaker version of those performances as well. And you do feel like that might be down to the material. She is meant to be dragging down the tone of this whimsy and material. But the problem is it, it feels too staged within that to really have resonance. And Paul Dano, again, feels a bit too drippy and a bit too quote unquote dream dad to work alongside it. As for Seth Rogen, do you know what? Hats off to him. I think he might be my second favourite thing about this after David Lynch as John Ford. But Gabriel LaBelle as Sammy Fableman or Sammy Storyman or Stevie Spielbergo or whatever you want to call him, not a particularly memorable lead or much of a find, especially within the pantheon of young Spielberg actors, certainly. I do wonder as well if there was a bit of a hidden message at the start because as you say it jumps straight in and there's a lot of this is the magic of cinema I do wonder if Spielberg's trying to save cinema a bit maybe you know this is how special movies are and why you should go to the cinema to watch them 
Well, on that on that that ground as well, uh, it has been said that this movie does feature one of the defining closing shots of any movie this year, and that closing shot really is about the magic of cinema. It could not be any more about the magic of cinema if they stapled it to your face. Was it the Hollywood Hills? <laughs> you know what? It's that level of on the nose. It is about that level of on the nose, really. Like I, I, I wouldn't have been shot. I was kind of half expecting that if I was honest. I thought it'd be like walking into man's Chinese or down the Walk of Fame or something like that. But yeah. it's not far off if we're being honest. It's. I don't think. I mean, for one thing, other than the name Spielberg being plastered all over, I don't think it's a movie that's going to draw a crowd. Like I think you'd have an easier time selling Alice, darling to people this weekend than Fables. Incidentally, it's worth noting, this is not on wide release this week. When We're releasing it for a lack of options, admittedly, but it's opening on limited theatrical this week, particularly oh. in I know it's opening in all of London, but it is on limited theatrical from today. Next weekend, however, it, it's everywhere nationwide. I think it's already opened in the open in the US a few weeks ago. Um, I watched it on Oscar, Oscar Link, as, as have you. Um... It's it's a movie that I know has gotten one token BAFTA nomination. You can kind of feel why. Because, it, I mean, that BAFTA nomination is for writing. And you do kind of understand that. Because outside of the script, perhaps, it just feels too cloy and too treacly and just laid on a bit thick. Like I say, so many monologues. So whimsical. So wondrous. So, ooh, the magic of cinema. And you do get to those points where you do sit and think, like, Jesus, Steve, we get it. I, I know that this is a requisite thing now, that if you're a white director of a certain age, you, you have to do that nostalgic period piece about your parents. I mean, James Gray did it like a month ago with Armageddon Time. Kenneth Branagh did it last year with Belfast. They all love to take a swipe at this. So it's understandable that, you know, Spielberg would get to the stage where he had his, you know, hold my Oakley's bra moment. So I can kind of understand. And, you know, you can't begrudge Spielberg because if anyone, like I say, if anyone deserves it, it probably is him, literally, as film royalty. But, I, you know, so it's a low bar to say that this is... <laughs> low bar to say it's one of the better ones, if I'm being honest. Well, I'll be finishing the rest of that over the weekend. Um, but if you want to see it, as Van just mentioned, The Fableman's out in some cinemas, definitely London today. And then next week, it will be available uh, nationwide. So uh, that's all we've got time for this week. We are going to be back, of course, next week with some more movies that are new that will be re being released. Um, so we're going to talk about Unwelcome Van. Who's in this one? What's this one about? Unwelcome is Warner Brothers' new sort of cheap and cheerful horror movie. So you know what I mean. You know I'm Yeah, dead. of course you are. Give me, a, give me give me a sort of $10 million budget, like, you know, cheap and cheerful horror movie. You've, you've got my money, sir. I think next week we've also got January, which is, you know, another horror movie. So good week for me. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is all is also out next week. But you know what I'm most focused on next week? And it's, it's a crime that they're actually putting this opposite, you know, the Spielberg movie, because I feel like they're trying to take its thunder. It is the new Gerard Butler movie, sir. It is Gerard Butler and Mike Coulter in the brilliantly titled, and apparently not bad, Plane. I mean... <laughs> so that doesn't say anything to me, though. Is this a, a, a plane crash disaster movie? Is it about some kind of chippy? I don't know. Apparently, Gerard Butler is a pilot who has to crash land his plane during a storm. I want to point out, my friend Greg Bird texted me recently when he discovered that this existed. He said, oh, ha ha, there's a new movie called Plane, ha ha. And I'm like, yeah, and I hope it makes a billion dollars so that they're obligated to make a sequel and they have to call it Boat or something. All right? <laughs> 
sidecar and motorcycle would be interesting. Uh, no. <laughs> so, uh, plenty to look forward to next week. Uh, and as Van said, the two of those are horror movies. So, um, they're going to be fun to talk about as well. So, uh, we will see you then. And you can join us for more off screen next week. Until then, then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor. And we shall return. <laughs>